Here we go, here we go. Whoever knows how to set that clock, it's two minutes slow. So, and I know in a group of Lutherans, there are probably four or nine people that want to get up on a chair. So that's okay. Just trust falls. We're all, we're good for them. Here we go, here we go. Uh, let's pray and let's go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us. Brighten our eyes. Open our hearts. Give us a strong will to choose what you bid for us. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay, good to see you. Um, you were so polite you didn't ask last week about the earbuds. But here's the thing. St. John is under demonic attack. Here's how I know. This is a true, true story. In the last, so two weeks ago I came to print my sermon. The printer wouldn't work. Then we decided to record things, but the recorder and the cables were all stolen. Then last week we came to church and the doors wouldn't open so you couldn't get in. And then Mary meets me at the door and says, the safe won't open. So we couldn't get the... Um, we couldn't get the chalices out to have the Holy Supper. Then we got it all fixed up. But then it worked for two days. But you know what? An hour before the Wednesday service, the doors wouldn't open again. And then, uh, I don't know if it was Wednesday or Thursday, the soundboard blew up. So every possible way that we could communicate, recording, right, talking, opening the door, coming in, everything has gone wrong in the past. So... um we got to record into an iPhone now a little bit until we get this all repaired. And, of course, John Crow, uh, you know, he's been away at graduation and stuff like that. So we've been kind of on our own, but it is kind of weird, like going up against the safe trying to figure out you can't get it open. And you're trying to figure out how to get it open and all the stuff you need, the gospel book, all the chalices, everything is inside locked up. So it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, what else could go wrong? I don't know. There's the thing about evil, and you should know this in your own lives. Evil is always, you know, evil is like, it's like, a, you know, it's like fireworks. And then it's nothing. So when it gets the worst, you kind of go, oh, it's going to be fine. It's like planning a wedding. You kind of go, so you had a wedding just coming up. and everybody, But then you say, oh, I'll go to the altar anyway. It's all going to be fine. Betsy. So. What? Of course they did. It's Val. She gets to do what she wants. Uh, what else? Thanks for the uh, the pig roast. Now, there weren't as many people this year, so we have to figure out, and you have to tell us, is it because that's run its course and you don't want to do it anymore? Is it because it was scheduled against homecoming? Is it because you have COVID because you're scared of COVID because you don't care about COVID because you have thought somebody else would care about COVID? you got to kind of let us know because we're always trying to figure it out. And we realize everybody's a bit off balance and things are coming back at different speeds. Although women's Bible study, I mean, there were 40 or 50 women on Friday. So that was good. You're here. I don't know. We're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure it out. Uh, but, you know, don't waste too much time. Try to get it right here. We got to generate a new attendance thing so we can do one. We've kind of been forgetting to take attendance. And then people are like, where's that thing? You know, have you ever tried to answer to Carol Tony's about why you didn't take attendance? <laughs> Carol, are you here? Yeah, I don't want to be the guy answering to Carol Tony's about why there's no attendance. No, that's not me. I don't. I don't want that. So, um, okay. All right. Questions just about anything? About anything you want to? Anything you want to chat about? So, uh, we're in this very weird time where we're trying to get back to normal. Each week it gets a little bit better. You know, we had more visitors this morning and. More people that I haven't seen probably in a year were back. That was really good. Bit by bit, things are getting better. And yet, you know, 
I still sense, um, you know, things aren't sort of where they were. Maybe, you know, maybe they'll, they'll never be where they were again. And yet I need to try to give you the things that will matter for you going forward. So, you know, last week we talked about this very awkward kind of love that Jesus has for his disciples. It makes people extraordinarily uncomfortable and sometimes even flee. I mean, you shouldn't forget that, you know, after this incident where he washes their feet, you know, 24 hours later, they've all left him, save the Apostle John and his mother, right? So things can get um, a bit tense, and we know about things, people disappearing and then coming back, and that's good. We, we want you to come back. And really, you know, the primary or the baseline form of awkward love is forgiveness. And so, you know, I'm thinking about you because I've talked to you about forgiveness, you know, every time, every Sunday since I've been here all these years. And yet I feel like we need to talk about it again because... Uh, each time it's different. I had this um, song lyric um, running through my head, head this morning from um, Gregory uh, Alan Isakoff. You know, if it weren't for second chances, we'd all be alone. And, I, and that was interesting because then I, I kicked it up when I got to the office just to listen to it. And what was so interesting is that, um, and this is hopeful, there are dozens of songs named second chances. It's so interesting. And precisely we're at a point in our nation and perhaps in our relationships, hopefully not in the church, although I've seen it in the church, where nobody gets a second chance. We are done with you. Now, what's interesting is as more and more people are erased, um, when it happens to you, you, you sort of go, hold on, right? I thought there was a second chance. At some point, that will tip because um, everybody is just waiting to be found out, right? Everybody's just waiting to be found out. And at some point, it's going to be you, and at some point, it's going to be me. And if we hold everybody to the unrealistic standard of the world is perfect, or theologically, the world is holy, we come to the baseline thing that we all knew all the time, that God is holy and we are not. And, of course, forgiveness is so interesting. Now, there was a brief, brief flurry about eight weeks ago, 12 weeks ago, where for about two months, forgiveness was in the headlines as a weakness. And it was interesting to see things. It's so interesting to watch right now to see things that are far on the edges come out, come out as headlines. And then you watch to see whether they disappear or not. But forgiveness had its moment um, about three months ago. And for about two months, there was a strong notion of forgiveness being a form of weakness and depression, which is just so interesting. So we can either react to that and say, um, they're at it again, or more helpfully we could say, hey, evil has a big moment and then it blows up. Or we could listen and we could say, nobody can survive this. So fill in the blank, you know, you all read the news and I'm not gonna do it for you, but just fill in the blank of the famous people who got blown up in the last week on both sides. It's delicious in some ways because it is pure law. And of course, what do I want? I want justice for everybody else. But for me, I want mercy. So, uh, you know, we're at a time where the church has this possibility to reassert itself as a place of mercy. Now, here's the problem. The church has done, you know, maybe okay 
but even in our own church body, people have been pretty rough with each other over the past year or so, you know. Um, I read about a pastor who was, you know, kicked out of his congregation for wearing a mask while he celebrated. Now, I'm not going to make any judgment about that. I'm just saying that the punishment doesn't fit the crime, right? So, I mean, that's not how Christians act. Christians sort of kind of figure it out together, and there's a weaker brother. And it's not clear if the congregation was the weaker brother. He was the weaker brother. But, you know, you talk about things, and you work things out, and you figure out what's true, and you forgive what went wrong, and you move on. And that is what's been lost. Now, um, you know, I notice a little of it here, but not too much. People have been pretty good about catching themselves, and that's good. Uh, really good. I mean, I shouldn't underestimate that. That's been really good. But what I want to suggest to you is, you know, everybody's nervous about giving into the greater climate of the church losing its place and we don't know what we're going to do and how will we survive. There was the great quote in the bulletin today from J.K. Smith who basically said, Christianity is about knowing, it's about doing. And your goal is to do just enough that somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus would be interested and give it a try. That's perfect, right? That's the... I mean, we were doing that 10 years before you wrote that book. But there, that's the right undercurrent, which is you're never going to talk anybody into anything because reason doesn't exist anymore. Right? People aren't persuaded by reason. It doesn't have the currency that it once had. People are persuaded by force. People are persuaded by emotion. These things go bad very easily. And it's the reason things escalate and, you know, turn into, you know, violence and wars. So for us, you know, we can't control the rest of the world, although we can be loving in the loaf. We have got to figure out what matters to us. And we have got to live that out. And we've got to let the chips fall where they fall. And if we don't do that, we are no Christians. It's just as simple as that. And... um a lot of people have been patient for a long time listening to other things. But at some point, somebody has to say, this is not the church and this is not Jesus. And so, you know, we just have to, for, for our two blocks, you know, I would sort of like to try to get us whipped back into shape. Now, I can't control much beyond my own two blocks. But for our two blocks, we want to be a particular kind of community that despite our differences, despite our challenges, despite our disagreements, and even despite our sins, we will not give in to being alone because alone is the way of the devil. That's what we did two weeks ago. Diabolos, the Greek for the devil, the word, the verb for that is to divide, to separate, right? You know, Nietzsche, hell is other people. Yeah, that would mean hell is alone. There's a good chance that hell does mean being alone. Right, So just kind of think that all the way through. And we're at a moment where um, slowly you're healing up and maybe we are too. Um, slowly I can sort of see people reemerging, but I still see uh, people uh, turned in on themselves and caring for their own concerns, which is cool because it's been a tough you know, year or 20 months. But you all got to like get your eyes up now and we do too. And start to think about the other people in the room, right? And bearing one another's burdens. You know, the, the key for this was what we read last time, um, the last two weeks. 
At Monday Thursday, Jesus talks about love each other just as I have loved you. That's a pregnant phrase. Along with the first phrase we talked about, one another, which is supposed to do for each other, like bear one another's burdens. Regularly in the scriptures, the phrase just as keeps coming up. So Jesus says, love each other just as I have loved you. Right? And we'll see some other, as we go, we're going to kind of see that. We really need to think about what that means. And we need, really need to like sort of eyes up and start to look at a bigger world now. Uh, the world has changed a lot in the last 20 months for good and for ill. Uh, but the whole history of the human race can be written as making virtue out of vices. And the whole way of being strengthened as a, as a Christian is to, you know, work through and overcome the challenges that, that, that work for us. And that is as easily told as Jesus being tempted in the wilderness or um, being on the cross and still being able to say to Father, forgive them, they're idiots. These people are idiots, and I still love them. You can say it to me, you're an idiot. We still love you. Thank you. Keep your cards and letters coming. Okay? So, um, anyway, that's just preamble for uh, where we are sort of at the, at the first point here. Okay? Um, so, anyway, point number one. You know, we're brittle and sharp and exhausted, but maybe not as much as last week. I hope not. But we are brittle and sharp and exhausted. And it's been a difficult time. Okay. I mean... Lots of you have had difficult times far worse than this. Um, you know, I, was, I met somebody kind of in the last month and said, hey, what's up? And the first thing they said is, oh, my dad just died of COVID. Yeah, that's a different way to um, greet the month, right? Everybody's got something. So, and if it weren't for second chances, we'd all be alone. So point number one, um, just some basic things for you to remember. By nature, Satan lies. So now just think about the world. Is there anybody you can trust? Is there anybody who tells you the truth? Who's your go-to source who will give it to you straight? You couldn't name five. You probably couldn't name three, right? So Satan lies, the definition of, of uh, I mean, Satan, the word Satan, it's an old Persian word that comes from the name for the guy in the Persian Postal Service who used to go and offer bribes to people who worked in the Postal Service. And if they took the bribe, then they were arrested, you know, and jailed, right? His job was to lie to people and bind them. That was the job of Satan. So Satan lies first and then divides. You're off on your own now. Jesus is just the opposite. Jesus tells you the truth and then holds people together. Now, if you're not held together, you should be able to infer from that fairly easily that we're not in the way of Jesus and we're not following the truth. Jesus' goal is to tell us the truth and to unite us in that truth. My word is truth. Sanctify them in that truth. The high priestly prayer in John 17. Okay, so the very first thing. This is just, this is like good from evil, right? Light from dark, true from false. This is just basic stuff. And we have to start at the basics because here's the thing. You know, we did okay, you know, in the challenge, in the troubles. We did okay. But, you know, we could have done better. You all know this. Any challenge reveals character. Yes, it builds character. Coaches always talk about that. People always talk about it. It builds character. It also reveals character. I mean, we should all sit down for an hour this afternoon 
um, after Justin Fields goes 11-0 in the state of Ohio, never lost there, have faith, we should all sit down this afternoon and you just kind of have a think through this, right? We should just have a think through this about how well we've done in the last 20 months because everybody's got something to confess. And if it weren't for second chances. So uh, here we go. As you do that, as you make a good confession, you know, the kindest words that can be said to you at confession. My son, you've made a good confession. Um, the first commandment is the only commandment. And pride is the only sin, because that's the sin that breaks the first commandment. And um, Satan is your only enemy. Even I get I get notes from pastors who say, even in the Missouri Senate, this group of people, these are my enemies. And I'm like, are you out of your mind, right? That these people are, are my enemies? These people aren't your enemies. These people are children of God. They may be wrong. They may not have it right. They may be being mean-spirited. But you should be very careful, you know. If it's, if, you know, call a brother your fool and you're liable to, to, the, to the fire of hell. Uh, let me just say to you that e- enemy is a step beyond that. So everybody just kind of take it down a notch and rethink. There's one commandment. The Lord is our God. There's one violation of that. Pride. I'm a God. There's one enemy, Satan, who tries to be a God. And uh, humility is the only virtue Satan can't imitate. And, and this is very hard, you can't, I mean, you can't get this outside the church. So when people say to me, oh, you know, when I'm on the golf course or walking in the woods or when I'm downtown or in Chicago, everything is great and I feel closest to God. I'm like, really? Because there is nobody in any of those places who is telling you that obedience is the greatest freedom. You are not what you are meant to be. I am not what I am meant to be. And so I'm in bondage. The greatest freedom is to obey Christ. And obedience is the greatest gospel word. It means exactly the same thing as love. And that means exactly the same thing as holiness. So when love and holiness and obedience all run together with freedom and joy, then you are on the way of Christ. And you're not in the way of Christ if those things aren't all ringing in together. This is all baseline stuff. You know this, but, and I, and I was, I was very troubled even this morning about should I say this, but because you know this all, and then do you know this all? But you should know this all, but even do I know this all? You've got to say it out loud from time to time or you don't remember it. So in the end then, um, love is the only cure and love is very awkward, especially when it displays itself as forgiveness, as foot washing, right? And so, you know, the key is, and maybe we'll talk about this in the future, is moving awkward love to eager love. And Peter, don't touch me. Jesus is like, man, I don't touch you. You're done for. And then he's like, touch me on the feet and on the head. And Jesus is like, don't tell me what to do. Everybody tells me what to do. Stop telling me what to do. Right? Sometimes I say this. Stop telling me what to do. But that's another story. Okay, so. You should know that your reason. So reason gives you, you know, an expansive abortion bill in Illinois yesterday. Right? Reason gives you all kinds of things. Reason can't be trusted. Not totally. 
and your emotions can't be trusted either, and your feelings can't be trusted. Are these ways of knowing? Yes, sometimes in some ways, limited by the grace of God. But just because you're not miserable doesn't mean you're right. Because people can be not miserable their whole lives and then have a bad last day when they die. You can disguise misery with excess. You can disguise misery with riches. You can disguise misery. Jesus is all about this. There's all kinds of people disguising misery in the scriptures, right? How you feel about things. Uh, it's nice if you feel good. It'd be great if you were joyful all the time and happy. But you know what? That's not life. The only thing that makes us calm is holiness. And this is, I'm kind of at the bottom of the first page. It makes you wonder a little bit whether or not we'll get to the last page. But hold on. There's color book things coming. You know, the holy makes us calm and it restores our right mind. Even though that can cause friction in the world. And it can be very, very painful. And still your choice is, um, follow me. So I'm just turning the page here. This is point number two, and I've talked about this a little bit. Things are, this makes things a little bit awkward. I mean, it was awkward for Jesus, it was awkward for the disciples, and they spent three years together working on it. Um, you know, last week's things, like, what are you talking about on the road? I mean, three, three, three years in, they haven't quite even figured out what Jesus is on about. It's crazy stuff, right? But the, the fundamental flaw in this all, and this is so interesting because, you know, the last 10, 20, 30 years, kind of as long as I've kind of been thinking about this, at least this notion of selfless love had currency in our society. It no longer has currency. You know, where I observe this chiefly is um, brides and grooms coming to get married and how they structure their lives. What's so interesting, even in the church, is that people now structure their lives very much on a transactional basis. Now, there are easy explanations for this, Primarily the way men treated women in marriage and the way the church treated women in marriage. There are good reasons for why this has happened. And um, men in the church should be especially careful here. On the other hand, sometimes you give up things you do not want to give up. And so I'll just again, I just give you homework. When you listen to how people talk about their relationships in life. You listen to how people talk about love. They're not talking about love at all. They're talking about this for that. They're talking about a trade. They're talking about a transaction. Right? It's been fascinating to me to watch the questions that are important to people over the years. Um, my kids' generation ask a completely different set of questions than we ask just the way we asked a different set of questions then our parents ask, that's all completely fine, unless you come unmoored. Unless you come unmoored from all the things on the first page, that holiness and love and freedom and obedience are all synonyms, and that love is not a transaction. This whole notion of agopic love, right, for God so loved the world. So the reason God loves you is because of God, not because of you. You know, we say this all the time, but this is no longer absorbed, and you can tell... You could watch a half hour of the news if you could stomach a half hour of the news. You could watch a half hour of the news and just see, just analyze it in one way. Ask yourself of all the relationships that are talked about, of all the relationships. It doesn't matter if people are giving out food or if they're putting a drone strike on somebody. All all of these relationships are described as transactional. 
the world just doesn't, you know, describe. Did you see, uh, did you get, you know, what your Instagram feed looks like? But I think it happened in the beautiful state of Iowa on Friday night football, which is not like Texas football. And there was a picture of a guy who cramped up and another guy from the other team stretching him out. Did you see this picture? It's got four million. It's got four million views this morning. Right. On Instagram, you're like, really? Because you stretched out somebody from the other team in the middle of the game. Like, yeah, because that doesn't that's such baseline stuff. We that's the full extent of doing something for somebody else. So this notion of um, that we are loved because God chooses from God's own heart, from God's own purpose, for God's own creation to love us as God in Christ. That is completely gone. Right now, here's the good news. And there's always good news, which is if you and I can be the sort of people who can love each other non-transactionally. So as Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount, give to people who can't repay you and pray for your enemies. Right. And love those who hurt you. The church has a chance to distinguish itself now the way the church distinguished itself in the first 300 years. It's going to be extraordinarily painful, not because, you know, it's us against them and, you know, democracy and what kind of government we have and, hey, this and that and push and pull and political parties. Forget all of that. Right. Because that's not our baseline. Our baseline is we walk in the way of Jesus and the chips fall where they fall. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It's time to kind of scrape away all that other stuff because those are interpretations or strategies or things that don't particularly matter. What's important is that you understand that God loves you and you happily in freedom obey him because that's best. Which is another question that people don't ask anymore. Just just listen as people talk. People don't ask anymore. What's the best life? What's a meaningful life? What's a divine life? What's a heavenly life? What's a God life? Those questions are not on the table. You know, just read and watch and listen. Like agapic love, which is for loving somebody for no good reason at all, the whole notion that there is a greater good and a greater God and a greater judgment and a greater place, none of that exists. And that's why Christians have such trouble making sense of the world. And that's why they're so frustrated. Your frustration should not show itself in politically organizing or identifying and destroying enemies or anything else that the rest of the world does. Your Christianity should show itself in love that follows in the way of Jesus, which, and we've only been here a couple of weeks, but looks something like foot washing and dying on a cross and resurrection and new life. And Acts 2 and Acts 5, where people saw that they were different and said, I'll have some of that. I'll join that. And in 300 years, it was the greatest force that the world had ever seen. So if you are despairing, you should not despair. And if you're taking another way, you should not take another way. And if you are in pain, you should say, well, um, that's nothing new. And if you feel as if... Um, St. John is going to come apart, you should say, I'm not going to let it come apart. You have the possibility to live in a thing that's held up pretty well, frankly. But if you don't tend it, it will go away by inertia. 
It will go away because the world is spinning down to destruction. And I know you're tired. I know you've had other responsibilities. I know you've been distracted. I know you've disagreed. I know all of that because my life has been the same way. Here's the deal. Eyes up and forward into hope. If you and I don't decide that this is what we want, then we will not have it. This is when I said last week, the primary thing, the primary thing that we're focused on is trying to hold all of you together, even though all of you are different and all of you don't agree. You got to agree on this. This is it. That God is the point number one and love and holiness and freedom and obedience are all the same thing. And it's not about knowing stuff. It's about doing stuff. And we do when we do that stuff, and, and frankly, the Missouri Center has kind of lost this. When we do that stuff, then people look at you and they say, I would like to be part of that. And if you don't do that stuff, or if you've lost the notion that other people should be invited into the church, that is not the way of Jesus. That is something else. That's the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club. Don't make me tell that story again. <laughs> All right, so, um, see, now you got me all stirred up. I just, you know. <laughs> the bottom of the first page, or at the bottom of the second page, point number four. Since all these things are going to be dissolved, this is one of the great questions of Scripture. Since everything's going to be dissolved, since you know how the story ends, since Jesus is coming back, since this world isn't such a big thing as you think it is, since all this is going to be dissolved, from now until then, what sort of people ought we to be, right? What sort of people ought we to be? And number five, in a sentence, um, we give what we've been given. We give what we got. And so, you know, if you start to read the scriptures this way, a new command I give you that you love one another just as I loved you. Or you've been called by Christ who suffered, who gave you an example so you can follow in his footsteps. That's another way of saying just as. Or be imitators of me as I am of Christ, which is another way of saying follow me or another way of saying just as, right? So what could possibly interest people, right? In a world where there's no second chances, where everybody is thrilled, where you identify your enemies and then you destroy them. What could possibly interest people about the church? Why would anybody cross that threshold? If they cross the threshold, why would they think? that you would welcome them, be kind, and actually give them a gift, that you would show them a better way, especially a way that has to do with some suffering. I mean, this is one of the greatest things I've ever read. When people are dying, um, I give them this, right? Whether taking a shower, jogging on the levee, eating a meal, or praying the scriptures, a vivid recollection of some sin of my past would flash through my mind. Now, here's the thing. You've all had this, and if you don't have this, you should come to confession, because I can point some out for you. Because <laughs> I'm your friend, and I love you, and I'm happy to, you know, do you this service. But mostly for you, it's the other way, which you're like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I ruined my life. I can't believe the burden of this. I wonder what will happen to me. One afternoon, I dove under the covers trying to hide from myself. And you've had that experience too, right? You just wish yourself would go away. I felt unclean, like a moral leper scarred with a sin. That same night, I read a passage from a book by Nikos Kazantzakis, Letters to Greco. 
an old man lies dying. He is filled with grief, remorse, and guilt because of his sinful life. At length he dies and goes naked and trembling before the Lord for judgment. That's just how it'll be. It'll be naked and trembling. And you should expect nothing else. You should expect this too. Jesus has a big bowl of sweet-smelling ointment and wash the man clean of his grime and shame. Jesus does it to you. You're naked and trembling, Jesus fixes it. You're dirty, Jesus cleanses it. You're sick, Jesus heals it. Jesus does it to you. That's the single point of the Reformation. It is the single word of the gospel, that Jesus gives you his gifts. And then Jesus says, don't bother me with that stuff anymore. Go over and play. That's the gospel, right? And for you who are visual, I give you poo. I, I mean, I give you this, you know, once a year. But for goodness sakes, take it home, pin it on your wall, have a light shine on it. And then when things go badly, just click the switch off. Because this couldn't possibly not be true, right? I mean, this is the whole, we should just put this in after, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, if I just put this in the liturgy for that, now, if I did that, I'd be just like every other innovating Missouri Senate pastor who couldn't obey the liturgy and just does what he wants. Nevertheless, the temptation is great. So it'd be great if I said, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you, then you said, I have been foolish and deluded. And I am a bear with no brain at all. I'd be like, yeah, confession. I've been foolish and deluded, and I'm a bear and no brain at all. Absolution. You are the best bear in all the world, said Christopher Robin. Confession? Absolution. I'm horrible. You're wonderful. I'm nothing. You're something. I'm sick and dirty, and Jesus washed him up with a bowl of sweet-smelling ointment and then said, Am I, said Pooh, hopefully, faith, hope, welcomes the future. Am I? Right? And then he brightened up suddenly. Justification, sanctification, confession, absolution, forgiveness, new life. Boom. I'm trying to get this in for the LCMS National Convention in a year. So far, my letters have been unanswered, but I still write. I may just shoot for the LWML, but I'll talk to them. So this gift of acceptance, that God accepts you, right? That God accepts you, that's your second chance, right? And one of the hard problems I have, I mean, one of the problems I have with you all, one of the problems I have with you all, <laughs> one of the problems I have with you all is that, you know, you, you have these horrible things. And uh, But another problem I have with you is that you can't believe those horrible things got forgiven. Right? So... We talk about something and you get forgiven. Then you come back and say, hey, you know that thing we were talking about? I'm like, yeah, no. I don't know anything about that thing we were pur purportedly talking about. When you go to absolution, that's it, right? So joy and peace and calm and security and no shame and no guilt and the fruits of the spirit and the future. And that is fabulous. And, of course, we have all sorts of ways of screwing this up. Primarily, this is point under point seven from John Feinig, our friend 
you know, we want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else, which is a prideful way of talking. Because it means I'm better than you and I deserve more than you. Right? So the only way of recovering is to do what Jesus does and see as Jesus sees and say what Jesus says and hear what Jesus hears and walk where Jesus walks. That's And that's that's the only way through, right? The only way through. Number nine, and we're getting close because the clock's just a tad slow, but from Henry Nouwen. And, you know, y'all who are young, you can fall asleep at this point. This is like old guys on the front porch, you know, forgot to lit their cigar and the whiskey's getting warm. But the rest of you, you know, you'll you'll kind of figure this out. The older we become, the more we realize how limited we are in our ability to love how impure our hearts are, and how complex our motivations are. The older we become, this is what happens. And there's a real temptation to want to look inside ourselves and clean it all out. Right? You, you, You get this remorse about your life, and then you want to fix it. And become people with a pure heart, unstained intentions, and an unconditional love. You do it yourself. I'll, I'll clean this up. I can fix this. Such an attempt is doomed, doomed to failure, and leads us to an ever greater despair. And this is what happens. You know, Kleinig once wrote about the loop of where our sins just come come again and again inside our heads. Or he wrote about how Satan constantly accuses us. You're not that good. You're never that good. You can never be forgiven. You can never be saved. You might as well quit now. This is useless. You are horrible. The more we look into ourselves and try to figure out try to figure ourselves out, the more we become entangled in our own imperfections. Indeed, we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us. That's so flippant obvious, right? We say this every week. We cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us. And yet, I don't know. That's not how most people's lives seem to me. Most people's lives seem, including my own, very different than that. This is why it's so important to remove your inner eye away from the complexity of your own broken heart. This is just Luther. Luther said, you know, sin curves in on itself. You, If you look into your own heart, all you'll ever find is darkness, right? This is why it's so important to remove your own inner eye away from the complexities of your own broken heart toward the pure and broken heart of Jesus. Even if you could understand yourself, you can't fix yourself. Even if I could understand my motivations, and my entanglements, and my weaknesses, even if I could understand it all, I can't save myself. Looking at him, which is why you have an icon right in front of you, and the reason the pastor has a cross on the altar looking back at him, because nobody should be in that sanctuary without looking at a cross. That's the reason there's a cross on the altar. You have the icon, and I have a little cross staring back at me. Because I shouldn't be staring at me, I should be staring at Christ. You shouldn't be staring at you. You should be staring at Christ. Looking at him and his immense mercy, foot washing, dying on the cross, will give you the ability to accept your own imperfections and really let yourself be cared for, washed up with sweet-smelling ointment, carried in the arms of Jesus like a baby, given a new way to see yourself, the sermon this morning. And let yourself really be cared for by the mercy and love of Jesus. 
I remember how Thomas Merton once wrote, God is mercy in mercy in mercy. This means that the more we come to know about ourselves, the more we come to know about God's mercy, which is beyond otherworldly, beyond the mercy we know. And then for all of you perfectionists in the crowd, and Wheaton is stacked high with them, letting go of the desire to be perfect lovers and allowing God to love other people through us. So giving up the notion that we can transact our business in a way that everybody is okay, pushing that to the side and having this agopic sense of this is how every virtue works. The virtues come from God's heart, love, honesty, joy. The virtues all come from God's heart into us at our baptism and in the Holy Supper and in absolution. They hit our hearts, our own hearts, fill them up, and then take a 90-degree turn and hit everybody else in the room. You don't have any virtues. I don't have any virtues. You don't have any love. I don't have any love. You don't have any honesty. You don't, you don't have anything but anger. You're only evil. And yet, because God loves you, everything changed. He floods the landscape of your heart and pushes all those other things out and bestows your Holy Spirit and teaches you to forgive and relieves you from the need to fix everything and be transactional and lets you love other people with divine love because your love is terrible and weak and broken and it favors people and it destroys other people by withholding love, right? Do I need to go on or you want to talk about your parents now or later? Just test them. We have a camera up. I'll get facial recognition on everybody who reacted and I'll be in touch. So um, letting go of the desire to be perfect lovers and allowing God to love other people through us, that is the great spiritual call given to you and to me. And that's everybody out there in the midst of this crazy world. There in the pure heart of God, embraced by his unconditional love, you will find the true joy and peace your heart is longing for. Now, I actually thought I didn't prepare enough, which is what I always think. But... Um, you know, we could talk about Matthew 18 another day, maybe, but and we could talk about this other uh, notion of what it means to be tender-hearted. Last page, to be tender-hearted, just as there it is again, to be tender-hearted, just as God in Christ is tender-hearted. It has a double meaning of being merciful but also useful. This great word. So. Right, you should just wallow and splash around in all the mercy God has given you, but then you should use it on other people too. So if you can imagine Jesus washing you up with this sweet-smelling oil and saying, go over there and play, and then when you go over and play, you're happy to wash other people up in this sweet-smelling oil and let them play too, right? Which has to be what it means when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, let's pray. Thanks. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. See you soon. Love you all. Keep going.